Welcome to Out on a Limb, where traditional finance and the new digital economy converge with a sense of history. My name is Tim Enneking, and this is episode 25. Today is February 28th, 2023, and it is about 11 a.m. We're doing this one a bit earlier today. So there haven't been a lot of activities in the last, in the last week, so we're going to look at uh, a little bit of history and some current events, as we, always, as we always do. Today is four days after the one-year anniversary of the Ukrainian invasion on February 24th. Didn't do a podcast that day, so we're not quite on time. And uh, it's been a fascinating year. The, the fact that the Ukraine exists, or Ukraine exists as a country, if you think back to what everyone was saying uh, in, in February of last year is in itself absolutely, utterly amazing. What the Ukrainian people have done is, is nothing short of astounding, even given all of the aid from the West. And keep in mind, at the beginning, there, was no, uh, there were no new shipments of weapons from the West. Some factions in the Ukrainian government thought a war would, would come. Uh, the army was one of them and actually did a decent job of preparing under the circumstances. But some of the, uh, some of the stories are just absolutely astounding. The one that's still the most impressive to me is when uh, Russian airborne troops uh, dropped into an airfield north of Kiev and expecting a lot of partisans. And I think there were some corruption issues with Russians taking money to recruit Ukrainian partisans and kind of accidentally pocketing it. But nevertheless, those are the legitimately elite troops of Russia. And since I'm a airborne ranger myself in the, uh, in the U.S. Army, uh, now retired, I have a lot of respect for those sort of folks. And the Ukrainians made short work of that advanced prong of the invasion to everyone's absolute shock. Now that Russia's, Russia has been just beaten up. The estimates are it's lost half of its tanks, that it has 80 to 90 percent of all its military forces, ground forces in Ukraine, and is still not making any progress in that they've had to rely on mercenaries, the Wagner or Wagner military company, is just astounding to me. So the what the Ukrainians have endured and what they unfortunately probably still have to endure is absolutely amazing and it's a people that ha is having literally as we speak their identity enhanced and to some degree even forged in the fires of the war with Russia. One of the things that some of you may or may not realize is that the western half of Ukraine was quite Ukrainian, spoke Ukrainian, which is sort of a a language between, very much a separate language, but linguistically sort of between Polish and Russian. And in eastern Ukraine, uh, everyone spoke Russian, or virtually everyone spoke Russian. And there have been pro-Russian factions in Ukraine and anti-Russian factions in Ukraine. And Putin in, in, interpreted the pro-Russian factions as wanting to give up uh, independence. Nothing could be further from the case, aside from Donetsk which, and Luhansk, which were both really manipulated. The Ukrainians had every right, they felt, to be pro-Russian geopolitically, but still very much want their own uh, 
independence, and there's nothing contradictory about, about those two things. What's happened in the meantime, though, is the Ukrainian language has become much more dominant, although a lot of Ukrainians who don't speak Ukrainian, they speak, they speak Russian. I've actually done a fair amount of business in the Ukraine historically, and, and you can see I say the Ukraine out of old habit, and got by just fine with Russian because virtually every Ukrainian spoke both languages, uh, but not all Ukrainians uh, spoke Ukrainian, strangely enough. Many of them just spoke just spoke Russian. And uh, Volodymyr Zelensky, who when the war started was Vladimir Zelensky, it's the same first name, Vladimir in Russian, Volodymyr in Ukrainian, just like Sergei and Sergei and a bunch of other things, the G in Ukrainian uh, being pronounced more like a H, like an, like an H, uh, a guttural H. Uh, they're, they're na- you never see Vladimir Zelensky, it's all Volodymyr. So the Ukraine has become more Ukrainian as a result of this, which is why I say the identity is being forged or enhanced in the in the fires of war. So then I will make I'll also make a prediction. I will go out on a limb. This is actually something I said the first week of the war after the Ukraine to my to my utter surprise survived was that neither Putin nor Lukashenko, uh, Lukashenko being the last dictator in Europe uh, who is the dictator of Belarus, which has not participated in the war but has very much assisted Russia in the war. Neither of them will survive the end of the war. Well, since we're one year in, my prediction can be more precise. I think both Putin and Lukashenko, in addition to not surviving the war, will be gone within one year. I don't see either of them surviving uh, what's going to come. Uh, lots, of, lots more to talk about in that, but that is not really the focus of the podcast. One day maybe I'll do another piece with some of my thoughts on, on what. Russia hoped to accomplish and to a large degree uh, still hopes to accomplish with the invasion of Ukraine. The second topic is more macroeconomic, although uh, it is very much related to the Ukraine. And that is uh, at the very beginning of the podcast and earlier last year before I started even doing them, I told my team here with uh, both on the fund side and on the family office side that there were five factors that were going to determine macroeconomic conditions for the next couple of years. Those five factors were COVID, supply chain, inflation, China, and Russia. And happily, two of those factors have pretty much been taken off the table, not completely, but COVID is one. Uh, The city with the longest COVID restrictions, mask requirement, lifted its mask requirement yesterday. That was Hong Kong after more than 900 days of requiring a mask. Pretty stunning number of that, uh, just as long as the siege of Leningrad, uh, since we're using metaphor- military subjects or metaphors today. Uh, the supply chain issues are pretty much gone. Uh, there is no longer a backlog of ships. Uh, people are not talking now about a uh, shortage of semiconductors, but a surplus. And although if you dig down, they're really very different things. The semiconductors that were in short supply were relatively sophisticated and generally CPUs or GPUs, and the excess supply is generally in RAM or memory. But nevertheless, it's a a really good example of where the supply chain issues, while not completely uh, gone, have certainly reduced to the point where they're almost to the level that you would normally experience. The three factors that are left, inflation, which is a third of three topics we'll talk about today, 
China, which uh, is still very, very complicated, the relationship probably more complicated, and Russia we just, we just uh, spoke about. So we'll focus on China as the last factor that, that really remains because we'll talk about inflation in a second. The U.S. relationship with China is getting more complicated, not less. Uh, you, you had the legacy of Donald Trump, which is very confrontational. Uh, a lot of what he said, even though I'm not a big fan, a lot of what he said made sense about China. Uh, very, very few style points, though, uh, more confrontational uh, in making those points than he needed to be. But uh, so the, the, the points were made, but the relationship was, was damaged. Uh, Putin, Biden, surprisingly, has not actually changed a lot of, of Trump's positions, gets a lot more for style points. And for a while, it looked, especially about three months ago, as if the U.S.-China relationship was improving. The spy balloon going over the U.S., and they've apparently been doing it for a while. Um, the, Trump, the Republicans have tried to make hay about this, but there are actually more spy balloons flying over the U.S. when Trump was president than when Biden was president, strangely enough. Nevertheless, for whatever reason, we're paying attention to it today. And that has soured the relationship. The recent report, still a minority report in the intelligence community, that, that COVID was actually the result of, a, of lab work, not a natural development with probably animal, specifically bat transmission to, uh, to the human body. Why that, if that's true, why the, why the research was going on at all and how it was leaked or how the, the virus escaped are all questions that still remain to be answered. And then you have the, what's probably the most troubling issue, which is China potentially supporting Russia in the war with Ukraine. Then things get really, really ugly because there would be uh, repercussions against China, although they'd be fairly limited because China still is the factory of the world. So it's not, it's not you can't do with China what you did with Russia. And in terms of cutting off commerce, and even with Russia, it hasn't worked that well, but in some cases, cutting off commerce or diverting commerce, it just doesn't work with China because China is too integrated into the world economy. On the other hand, it also means that China is very dependent on the world economy. So a backlash from China providing arms, particularly artillery ammunition to China would actually be quite serious. But that's not the biggest factor. The biggest factor is then you would have a proxy war where the West is, for, is supporting Ukraine and China is supporting Russia. And so you have the Eurasian landmass basically supporting Ukraine with the, the, the third you know, major country on that landmass, India, trying to maintain some sort of neutrality. And then you have the entire West, quote unquote, plus many important countries uh, in Asia, uh, particularly South Korea, Japan, and potentially Taiwan, uh, supporting uh, the Ukraine, you get to a very ugly situation where you, you have two military blocks, you're back to a bipolar world. It drives China and Russia into each other's arms when they are not actually natural, uh, natural allies. Uh, during the Cold War, the United States often and the West often made the mistake of thinking they were. So that would be very, very difficult. So the, the best thing is for China to stay out of the war and I think then Russia loses, but we'll see where this goes. That's a, a, a very, very delicate situation. But of the five factors, three of the five are gone. Uh, the uh, interest rates, 
uh, going up, I think, will take care of the, eventually take care of the uh, one more of them. And then you have Russia and China, which at the moment are separate problems, but they actually could unify. Not a good situation, and we'll talk about that more depending on future developments. The third and last topic is back to inflation, specifically the personal consumption expenditures index. Now, I dug into this a lot because the PCE is uh, Mr. Powell's favorite indicator of inflation, and it's not something that gets as much, uh, as much uh, airtime, if you will, as the general inflation index. So I dug into it a little bit, and it's actually quite fascinating from several perspectives. First of all, it's published by the Bureau of Economic Analysis, which is part of the Department of Commerce. So it's a government agency, and you just don't hear a lot about the BEA, but it actually turns out to be quite important. It is the agency, as I dug into this, that issues GDP numbers. For instance, it just published a number saying that the gross domestic product of the United States in Q4 went up 2.7%, which is more than respectable. It publishes monthly personal income data. So personal income went up 0.6% in January, which is good on the one hand from an inflation standpoint. It's not or inflationary standpoint. It publishes a lot of information on international trade and international transactions. Overall, it is just a really interesting bureau that doesn't seem to get a lot of attention. Uh, enough, uh, enough of a shout out for the BEA, the PCE, the Personal Consumption Index, here are the trends over the last four months. In October, it was up 6.1%. In November, it was up 5.6%. So still high, but with the rest of inflation numbers going down. December, it was 5.3%. And then January, it was 5.4%. And that's why all markets, fiat and crypto, plunged the day that this was released. And we'll go back and talk about that just very briefly. But if you look at what's going on, you have a nice downward trend, 6.1, 5.6, 5.3, and then 5.4. And the question is, what do you do with this 5.4? Is that a reversal of a trend or is it a blip? And given a lot of the seasonality adjustments and the holidays, the other impact of the holidays in December, it makes it doubly hard to figure out whether January is a problem or not. So the next figures that come out and keep in mind the FO, next FOMC meeting is March 23rd, there will be fe February inflation numbers that are released between now and then. If the February inflation numbers are, are poor, that is, they show an increase in inflation or even stable inflation, then you're going to see markets really hit. Uh, I doubt very much March will result in a 50 basis point increase, but if the inflation numbers are really bad and show a resurgence, a 50 uh, 50 BIP increases back on the table. I still stick with my prior prediction of 25 in March and 25 in May. Going back to the markets, it's really quite funny. First of all, the if you look at the markets over the last week, if you look at the S&P over the last week, it is virtually unchanged. It entered last week at about uh, four at 4,005. And as of right now, the markets are still open at the moment. It's at 39.88, so it has gone down 17 points in one week, effectively sideways. But there is quite a bit of volatility in the middle of that. If you look at BTC as a at Bitcoin as a proxy for the same thing, what you will see is that while it went down over the last five days, if you extend that out simply to the last 12 days, you're at the exact same level we were then. It was. Uh, uh, a drop from the, right after the uh, 
right after the uh, inflation uh, numbers that came out in February. So you're, we're really moving sideways. And if you go back a little bit more, uh, you go back to uh, 10, you back, uh, let's see, what is this, 2012 days, you see that we are at the exact same level we were before. So you, you have a lot of sideways motion in both sets of markets right now. And you also have correlation. They're moving sideways in generally the same manner. Although the interesting trend, that is the idea of selling crypto when fiat markets open and buying crypto when fiat markets close is actually a money-making strategy, a fairly simplistic one, but uh, it actually does work and appears to continue to work. It's very interesting. The We keep track for for my funds of what BTC has done for an entire month. Uh, BTC entered February just over 23,000, so 23,100 and change. As of right now, I'm watching it drop uh, actually uh, quite a bit in the last couple minutes. It is at 23,281. So it is up half a percent in the entire month. Uh, ETH or Ethereum, it's also dropping. For some reason, both markets are dropping. It was just under 1,600. It's now at 1,629, so it's up about 2% for the entire month. Again, not changing much at all. In real time, if I look at the S&P, the S&P entered the month at 4,076, so it's down less than 2% real time for the entire month. So February has been pretty much uh, an, a sideways month, which frankly, given some of the negative uh, financial news, is probably quite good. There are a lot of uh, folks on the street that are talking about uh, the number of shorts increasing and how the S&P is going to go down from here. Uh, and it may, it may well. I stick by my prediction, though, that the S&P will be up slightly for 2023 at 4,200. I don't see anything to really to really change that prediction. And with that, uh, we are finished for today. We'll speak next week. And in the meantime, I hope you have a very good week and a little bit of excitement, but not too much. Thank you.